HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Welcome to Cutting the Curd on the Heritage Radio Network. Uh, I'm your host, Ann Saxelby, and today's episode is uh, a bit of a technological marvel for us and for the Heritage Radio Network. We're broadcasting live from Twig Farm, a diminutive but delicious goat dairy in Cornwall, Vermont. And um, we're thrilled to be here today with Michael Lee, who is owner goat herd, shepherd, and cheesemaker here at Twig Farm. Hello, Michael. Hello. Thanks for being on the show. Thanks thanks for having me. Well, and thanks for having me over for lunch. That was a most delicious lunch. Pleasure. We had had cheese cheese sandwiches, just so all the listeners uh, uh, know, Um, and also some pickles and other things, but it was a pretty cheese-centric lunch. Yes. Um, so Twig Farm is, um, I, I know that, you know, I shouldn't play favorites when it comes to um, the cheesemakers that I work with, but I do have to say that I love Twig Farm and the cheeses that Michael makes um, just about more than any other cheese out there. Um, and uh, they make an incredible different array of raw goat's milk cheeses here at the farm. Um, so to start with, we're going to talk about a bunch of different stuff, but to start with, I wanted to talk to Michael about uh, the Champlain Valley and about where the farm is actually located because it's a, it's a very, very beautiful part of Vermont and uh, it has uh, a lot of dairy history, I think. Is that correct? Um, well, yeah. I mean, it, it, as far as um, commercial dairying, it, it kind of follows a lot of the history of the rest of the state where um, there was a lot of home dairying and then in the 19th century, um, with the expansion of the railroads, there became a lot um, more uh, commercial as far as uh, producing cream for creameries, and then 
eventually milk for the Boston and uh, New York markets. But uh, it's so I guess uh, it's been going for a while, and um, it's um, it's in a tough spot right now. But uh, yeah, it's been going for a while. Yeah. So at, we're in Addison County, right? Is that right? Yeah. Okay. And Addison County, yeah, it was um, a big, you know, a big cow, a cow dairy county. Um, but uh, to have uh, to have goats is uh, is kind of a different thing for this part of uh, of uh, of the woods. Um, how how do your how do your cow dairy neighbors feel about you guys uh, milking goats? Um, well, my my next door neighbor who milks about two hundred uh, brown Swiss thinks it's great. He, he thinks it's a it's quite a hoot. Um, he says he always says, "Oh, I used to work with sheep, and they'd always get out, but I never see your goats out, so you must be doing something, right?" <laughs> um, yeah, but um, I, there are some people that are, you know, they take it in stride, and other people are kind of like, "Well, it's not really having a farm, you know," um, which is fine, you know. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I, that's fine, whatever. Um, but that seems like an interesting. It's an interesting thing because there's definitely sort of a an old school, old timer way of thinking about dairying, and then um, you know making farmstead cheese like what you do, and what you know more and more people in the area are starting to do is kind of a, a new way to think about dairying. And um, it'll be interesting to see. I think, yeah, if uh, it seems like a trend that's continuing to grow. I mean, the farmstead cheese thing, and and beginning to think about other ways of dairying as the the conventional or commercial dairies have sort of faced economic problems in the last, uh, you know, however many years. I don't know how long it's been going on. Well, it's kind of been going on since the early 80s, but um, (laughs) it's gotten a lot worse lately. Um, It is something for a lot of folks to look at, but it's it's really hard um, for a lot of people to, to understand the the change that they need to make. Um, a lot of people, their their experience of cheese goes no further than what they see at uh, you know the Hannafords or something like that, and and not even most of that. They just look at the um, you know the cheddar or the you know American and uh, or Swiss or you know that and that's what cheese is. And so um, getting them to think along the lines of what they could make um, mm-hmm. with 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 their raw materials. Um, that would make it worthwhile for them to do it. It's, um, isn't, it doesn't, it's not a natural sort of progression in a lot of ways. Um, I think they, have, they know a lot about milk, and they know a lot about making milk, but um, they, don't, they don't have the same sort of... Uh, they don't have an understanding of what cheese can be, I guess. Sure, sure. Um, but yeah, as I said, you know, it seems like um, you know this this region in particular is home to so many uh, so many little uh, burgeoning um, farmstead cheese producers. It's almost the the identity of the of the Champlain Valley seems to be there's a lot of there definitely is a lot of local food here and an emphasis on local food, but um, especially the cheeses. So maybe as these kinds of cheeses continue to be made, um, that'll kind of you know, expand everyone's collective knowledge of what kind of cheese is out there beyond cheddars and beyond Colby's and things like that. Yeah, I mean that's that's a really hope, hope, that's a hopeful thing to you know to think of it that way. And and um, I think um, I think with each passing year that a place uh, like for instance like us or um, you know any of the other local cheese makers stays around, 
the more likely people are to look at it. Um, because the the first, it's very, you know, especially the farmers are very conservative. You know, it's like, oh, what's this latest fad, this latest trend? You mm-hmm. know, and, and they're not going to sink a couple hundred thousand dollars into something that's, you know, just going to last a few years. Well, they, they might, but it just... Um, it, it wouldn't, wouldn't help them in the long run. Right. Um, and so, you know, but we've been, you know, there have been people like, um, you know, like Bob Weaver's been at it for 20 years or what have you, you know, and they're still doing it and still doing really well. And, um, you know, there's, there, you're, you're right, there are a lot right here, um, you know, half a dozen or so within 10 miles of our place. Yeah. So, um and it seems like, you know, as these, uh, as, as more people kind of get into the, the game, be it cheese making or producing other kinds of sort of artisan foods here in the area, that um, there is a local market that's pretty nearby and pretty educated and pretty interested in buying these products and finding ways to get them into uh, people's mouths, be it um, restaurateurs or chefs or farmer's markets which is pretty unique. I feel like a lot of other farms don't have access to that kind of a market. Yeah, it's, it's really, it's tremendous, really, because I think there's somewhere uh, along the lines of 30,000 people in Addison County, um, wow. which, you know, it's like a, you know, a block in Manhattan. And, <laughs> I mean, seriously, there, there are definitely blocks that have that many people living on them. And um, if you think about the amount of food that's produced here and, and consumed here, it, uh, it's it's far, you know. It's, it's just, it's amazing. They're, you know, I can't, I can't fathom, you know, any place else that's like that. Yeah, yeah. No, I've noticed that there are some. Um, what other? I mean, what other networks? I guess are there for sort of um, distributions of these kinds of foods besides, you know, the farmers market or, um, you know, a few local restaurants? Are there other um, groups that exist that can help? You know, sort of locally. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's there's the whole local vor acorn movement, and and then um, and so what that does uh, is sort of these people get together on a regular basis and they trade um, uh, sort of tips on where they get stuff, and they all do you know these big dinners uh, every, especially during the, the fall and winter, um, where they they get together at a church hall and everybody brings some locally produced foods and. And so it's kind of a big sharing of, of food and also of information uh, where you can get the food. And then there's, I mean, there are a lot of CSAs um, in the area, and the farmers markets are they're really a big distribution network. I mean, the Middlebury Farmers Market, which is the largest in the county, has um, has grown. It's probably about twice as big as it was three years ago. Wow. Um, and I mean, that's reflected in our sales there, and uh, we. We're definitely selling about twice as much cheese every week as we did two years ago. That's impressive. Yeah. um, For the size of the town that we're in, you know, we sell 30 pounds of cheese every week there, plus what we sell at the co-op and uh, at the um, the local restaurant. That's um, great. And it's a short market. It's just a couple hours on three hours on a Saturday morning. That's a a good, yeah, that's great. Yeah. That's really great. Yeah. so I feel like, I don't know, that uh, as more people, I don't know, that's, it's definitely, I feel like, a hopeful thing to see models like this uh, community uh, around Middlebury for what can happen um, if, or how many farms a small community can support if, uh, if people are kind of tapped into it and that are buying yeah, local. I mean, it's, when you see it, um, you know, for a place like this, and, you know, granted, 
I think anybody that produces anything in quantity is selling a large percentage of it outside of our, our local area. Um, but even even so, you know, if only you know, if like let's say in New York, you know, like if 10% of the people there, you know, purchase the same percentage of locally grown foods as the people around here do, there would be so many small, you know, so many farms right within, you know, the farm shed of New York City that it would be amazing. You know, it just is yeah. huge. You know. Absolutely, get that, get the working landscape kind of, you know, up and working again. <laughs> yeah, you would have to. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, well, I think uh, it's about time for us to take our first break, but when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more with Michael about how um, he got started um, as a cheesemaker and, uh, and learn a little bit more about Twig Farm. So uh, stay tuned. We'll be back in uh, just a minute. All right, we are back on uh, Cutting the Curd. My name is Ann Saxelby. I'm here today with Michael Lee. Uh, we're on the Heritage Radio Network, and our sponsor today is TechServe, the Apple store in Manhattan. Um, and I hear we have a caller on the line who has a question about uh, something cheese-related, maybe. Hello? Is the, is the caller here? Hello. Hello? Hi. Um, I was just wondering if Vermont had any nationally known cheeses that were shipped to all 50 states. That are shipped to all 50 states. Um, the, the question was, um, yeah, if Vermont has any nationally distributed cheeses that are shipped to all 50 states. I think the answer to that question is yes. Um, Vermont seems pretty unique in that, you know, it has a large uh, sort of spectrum of, of cheesemakers. Um, Someone like Michael, who only has 30 goats, um, might not be able to ship cheese to each and every state. So his cheese does make appearances on cheese counters as far away as, uh, as California. Um, but there are other uh, cheesemakers here. Um, Jasper Hill Farm is one that you might be able to find in a lot of uh, states around the country. Um, and then there are people who are quite large, such as Cabot, Cooperative or Grafton cheese, um, who and those are co-ops that support large networks of family farms, and those cheeses are more widely distributed. Um, so I would say I, I don't know if you're looking for Vermont cheese, um, you know, in somewhere that's not quite, or and you're not right in the Northeast or right in uh, the area, it would probably be good just to go to whatever your equivalent would be of a specialty cheese shop and uh, and See what they might what they might be able to offer you. Um, I hope that that answers the question a little bit. Um, it, it is distribution is, is definitely one of the toughest things, especially if we're talking about um, farm shed cheeses. Um, so that's a it's a very interesting question, uh, and and I don't know something that uh, you know sort of another question, which is you know cheeses like this that are being made on a small scale enjoyed locally. 
they're being made in a limited quantity, and it's kind of like there's only so much uh, that, that can go around, which is kind of a bummer um, if the cheese is really tasty, but uh, just kind of the nature of the beast. Michael, do you have anything to say about that? Yeah, um, I mean, I'm surprised. One, I'm surprised at how far afield our cheese gets um, mm-hmm. because we sort of hand off distribution outside of New England to the sellers of Jasper Hill, which is Jasper Hill Farms distribution and aging uh, uh, branch, or however you want to think about it. And we sell them cheese, and then they in turn sell it outside of New England for us. And I think some, even within New England, but mostly outside. And um, and it ends up in the darndest places. You know, uh, my <laughs> sister-in-law lives in, in Utah, and she finds it there. And I had some friends of the family that were in Missouri somewhere, and they found it there. And found its way down to, you know, to Dallas, Texas, and, you know, I think it gets around, it gets around a lot more than I do, that's for sure. <laughs> you know, um, so, you know, so anywhere on, a lot of places on the West Coast, and then some big cities uh, in the middle of the country, too. At least somebody's getting out and seeing the country. That's right. You know? <laughs> if only they could report back. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's funny. Well, sometimes, we, you know, we get to, emails or phone calls from friends who have been, you know, traveling and they go to some fancy restaurant and they say, oh, we had your cheese there. And it's like, oh, you did? <laughs> I've never eaten there. I wonder how, how it was. <laughs> you got to start keeping a list so, you know, then when you do take trips, you just know the spots to <laughs> right. hit, you know? You're like, you know that cheese? I made that cheese. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I was going to, I don't know, I definitely want to talk about your farm in particular, but as long as we started talking about Jasper Hill and the sellers at Jasper Hill, um, I did want to just ask you a question, a quick question about that. Um, the sellers at Jasper Hill, so far as I understand, were designed to um, be a place where the, the, the folks at Jasper Hill would buy cheese from small farms all across the state, bring it there to be aged, and then uh, act as a central distribution point. Um, which is, from from my end of things, from the cheese retailers' end of things, kind of a, a blessing because um, it means that there's one shipment of cheese coming down to my store uh, every other week on a refrigerated truck as opposed to a million boxes showing up on my doorstep from FedEx that have been beaten and battered and, you know, abused in every possible way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's kind of an important... Uh, I don't know, it's an important thing that is uh, a, a sort of piece of the puzzle that's being addressed by Jasper Hill in terms of scale and getting these cheeses out there. But for you, it's also got to be kind of hard to relinquish uh, control of something that, you know, you've put so much effort into making from the raising of the goats onward. Um, how do you feel about that? Um, I'm, I'm ambivalent but practical, um, you know, in, in the way that I was just describing how our cheese gets out there, I, I wouldn't want to be the person putting it out there to all those places. Um, we sell to uh, probably less than a dozen accounts um, on a regular basis. And okay. um, I do, um, you know, I'd say probably about 80% of the work on the farm uh, as far as making the cheese, taking care of the goats, and uh, aging the cheese um, myself. Um, so that, you know, having a limited number of of accounts that I'm shipping to makes it a lot easier. Um, and so while I might want to have the personal connection with everybody that I'm selling it to, I, I that's the first thing that I'm willing to relinquish right there. Yeah, yeah. And how do you feel about the uh, about the just development of the cheeses in the cellars? Are you happy with the 
um, the maturation and the, do you, I, I guess, what's your relationship like? Do you go up there to, to, to check on the cheeses? Do they send you samples back down? How does that work? Um, or that's, that's sort of a relationship that's still in development, mm-hmm. um, but and it's not been a huge um, concern for us um, where only one of the cheeses that we send up there, do they uh, finish maturing there? Uh, the rest are, are ready to sell when they uh, arrive, and so it's just a matter for them of managing their inventory and, you know, um, as far as when they sell them. So it, um, they may hold them for, you know, a week to three weeks, but it's not uh, nothing that I would consider a, a crucial, you know, change in the cheese. But with the washed-drying cheese, um, they um, they do finish those. They get those when they're about four to five weeks old. And, okay. Um, so, and then they're sold, and they're about 65, 70 days old. Um, at least that's when I saw mine. Um, uh, and during that time, what kind of uh, what kind of affinage work do they do? Just to give people an idea who haven't who haven't actually been in a cheese cellar um, working working with the cheese wheels. Okay. Well, each piece of cheese is, is uh, turned probably. A, I think with them, it's just a couple of times a week because the conditions are such that it doesn't need as much handling as it does here because we have the mixed cellar and they have. There are specific sellers for the types of cheese, and then it's washed about once a week, I think, up there. And I think that's really all that they need to keep the, the bee linens uh, developing on it and to keep the cheese in good shape. Um, so uh, when we finish that here, we wash that three times a week and tip it three times a week. Um, wow. It's a little bit more intensive, uh, and it has to because of our conditions. Yeah, definitely. The, the mold is competing with yes. uh, different different molds <laughs> that want to oust it. <laughs> yeah. um, and now uh, we at lunch also we enjoyed some some cider that you uh, that you had made mm-hmm. um, that you're using to wash your cheeses. Can you tell us a little bit about that and how it changes the flavor? Or? Oh, um, well, we um, we use some hard cider that we make. Uh, well, I make it sort of. Uh, I, I do the, the easy part, and my friend uh, Brad Keeler at Windfall Orchard, he does the hard part. He picks the apples and uh, runs the press, and I just kind of feed the apples into the grinder and all that sort of stuff. But And uh, so we make the hard cider and um, geez, wash it with that. It gets, a, it gets a little bit sweeter, a little bit fruitier, fruitier sort of aroma. And um, this is the first year I've done it really... Um, Consistently, and so I'm waiting to see if you know how I like the cheeses um, done with that. And I'd like to compare them, I think, with some that aren't done with that. So I'm probably going to get some from Jasper Hill and sort of uh, do a little comparison on the cheeses. Yeah, that's also it's a nice way to to, to sort of um, distinguish cheese that's coming, you know, straight from the farm uh, from cheese that's coming, you know, that that's yeah. being matured elsewhere. Like you said, when I was at the farmers market yesterday. There are certain things that you can only get at the farmer's market, yeah. which I think is, is pretty cool, you yeah. know? We, we make a fair amount of cheese that way. Anything that, any cheese that I make that is more uh, time or labor-intensive, I tend to want to keep at, at the farmer's market. Um, one is, you know, it's economics. I, I get a better price for it there than I do anywhere else. And uh, two, it's, these are the people that I see every day, you know, for the most part, and so I like to have something special for them, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, um, it seems like we're just about ready for another quick break, and uh, and then when we come back, I promise, we're going to talk to Michael about how the heck he got started making cheese and um, and uh, just sort of get a life or a day in the life of a cheesemaker at a, a Twig Farm. So stick with us, and we'll be back in a minute. 
Welcome back to Cutting the Curd. I'm Ann Saxelby. Uh, my guest is Michael Lee, uh, cheesemaker and owner of Twig Farms. Um, this is the Heritage Radio Network, and our sponsor today is TechServe. Um, so, Michael, we have to talk a little bit more about uh, how, how you got started making cheese. Um, I know this is a question that you've been asked like five million times, um, but okay, so first of all, why cheese? Why not, you know, why not beer? Why not vegetables? Why not something else? Um, uh, to get it as quickly as possible, um, I think that cheese um, probably, uh, to, to me, it can uh, incorporate a lot more um, culture and uh, and place as well, you know, in a really specific way. And I think that's what it attracts me to cheese. And you're not talking culture like bacteria. No, I'm talking about the backgrounds <laughs> of the people involved in producing and consuming it. <laughs> uh, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, and and so that um, and I love the way it tastes, or at least some of the way it tastes. Um, it's the way it can <laughs> taste. Um, so it's got uh, it's got sort of the pleasurable hedonistic aspect to it, and then there's sort of an underpinning of something I can really think about while I'm doing it, and uh, Sort of some ideals that I can uh, sort of explore. Now, you uh, you had a background in, in art, uh, is that isn't that right? Yeah. Before being a cheesemaker, what did what did you uh, what did you study? What was your? Uh... Um, well, I, um, I I painted and I you know I made some sculptures, but mostly I painted, um, and um, you know I got that my degree in painting. Uh, mhm. Yeah. And so I think I don't know. I feel like a lot of uh, artistic People are kind of drawn to um, are drawn to cheese. I mean, I feel like there's some some similarities. Do you do you feel that way at all? I, I do. I you know, and this it sounds it can sound really fruity. If, if you get me in the right <laughs> mood, I can go on and on about it. But there's something about uh, creating this uh, this artifact. Um, I think, and that's one of the things. In, in general, is like what happens if we do this to it? What happens if we do that to it? And at the end, you're left with something. You're left with you know. A, the traces are something that you can consume in one way or another, um, you know. And um, you know, in some ways, a lot of art making is the same thing. You know, it's like you take an idea and you do this to it, you do that to it, and you end up with, you know, a representation of of that process. Right, right, and it evolves and changes over time. Yeah. And um, would you say that that uh, you know, season by season, you kind of go through uh, different things like that with uh, the different cheeses that you develop and make uh, year to year, or even, or, or even the cheeses that you've made since the beginning. Have those continued, in your opinion, to sort of evolve and change and yeah, get better and deeper roots? It's kind of it's like a, it's, um, and I guess this maybe reveals some of my aspects, some aspects of how I thought about art making. But it's a lot of it's process oriented and. Um, and so, and it's it's about practice, you know. And so every day, I, I think, you know, in all the years of making art, there there maybe I might have had three or four ideas, you know. Maybe one of them was good. And, and <gasps> it's the same way with with cheese making, you know. It's like 
you have you have achieved that you have in mind and all of the things that line up to make it. You know, how often do they happen? Um, but uh, <laughs> um, yeah, so it's, a, it's a, there's a lot of similarity in that way. I think. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Now, actually, we have somebody special here in the studio, in quotation marks with us. We're actually in Michael's living room, and um, his son, Carter, who is the, uh, the biggest helper to the cheesemaker, is here. Carter, would you like to say something on the radio? Mm-hmm. Carter is pretty, he is awesome. He's uh, been helping us out all morning in the yard with the ducks. Can you tell us about the ducks, Carter? <laughs> it's my friend. It's my friend on the radio. Do you want to tell him about the duck? Okay. <laughs> he said, no, thanks. He's going to sit in and listen to us talk about cheese. Um, but uh, so, well, do you think, you know, do you have any any uh, sort of, this is kind of a silly question, I guess, and has nothing to do with cheese, but who are some of your favorite artists? <laughs> Cheese. Uh, I guess that um, no one's ever asked me that uh, when I've been talking about cheese before. Um, I, I want to do some research. <laughs> um, maybe um, Robert Irwin. Um, let's see. Um, I know it's a tough I question. I haven't thought about it like that in a long time. Um, uh, for this is they're kind of all over the place. Florine Stettheimer. Yeah, Robert Irwin. Florine Stettheimer. Um, uh, Robert Ryman. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, no. Not gold or anything. Really, no. It's too close to home. <laughs> yeah, that's true. He never made anything edible, though, so you've got a one-up on him there. <laughs> um, but, yeah, you know, I was thinking maybe the way you think about the pasture as well it could be similar to, to Goldsworthy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was thinking about uh, more than anything. I was just like, yeah, you know, it's, it's a very long-term project um, starting with one kind of landscape and what we're going to end up with. And I have uh, some ideas, but um, it's kind of an interactive project with the goat. Sure, nature, sure. You know, like. <laughs> the biggest interactive sculpture ever, ever yeah. attempted, the, yep. the growth of the pasture at Twig Farm. But so, okay, well, so Twig Farm, that name comes from a story. Yeah, it was, I mean, it's just looking at what we were buying for land and what we were, you know, what we were going to be working with, and it was completely either overgrown pasture or woodlands, and um, and so we just, um, we were looking for a, a, a name that would um, apply to where we were, and also some, you know, something about it that was particular, and well, we had a lot of twigs, and we knew that if we had, you know, if we called it Twig Farm, that it's kind of, you know, silly, but it would be su- we would be successful at being a twig farm. <laughs> we would always have twigs here, and sure enough, we, we do, you know. That's that's just, you know that's it. Yeah. I like I lo- I love that story, and the goats. I mean, it's true. Um, we we went out for a little pasture walk earlier this. Uh, this afternoon, and, and um, I was amazed at the amount of, of different things that are out there for the goats that really, um, you know, that sort of uh, attention to um, not just, you know, they do like eating brambly things per se, but not twigs though, right? Goats don't eat twigs. They will. They will? Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, it's called woody brows uh, in, the <laughs> in the nutritional literature. Uh, and no one's exactly that in bark, and no one's exactly sure what, what it's all about, but they do it. Um, and... Um, yeah, I mean they they like it better if the if the leaves are attached. 
<laughs> okay. <laughs> then it's a complete food for them. Um, otherwise, they have to eat like a mouthful of grass or weed or something like that and the twig. And it's, it's kind of like when we're eating a salad. You have to have a little bit of the leaves and then some cheese yeah. like on top of the salad and make it, you know, <laughs> yeah. more pleasant. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but, well, I know we, we're almost out of time, but maybe can you just tell us really quickly uh, a little bit about... Um, how you think about the, the goats and what they eat and how that influences the quality of the milk and, by turn, the cheese? Oh, sure. In, yeah, in really, 10 seconds. Really, yeah, just really fast. <laughs> um, well, I think um, our, our, my approach, as much as possible, is to sort of set some, some uh, parameters and work within them. And so one of the parameters for the goats is when there's uh, sufficient, sufficient nutrition available uh, out for them to forage themselves, they will. Um, under any conditions unless, you know, it gets so wet or so, um, you know, it's, it's just murderously thunder and lightning, you know, they're out there. And we essentially, we, we continue to select for very hardy goats that can, you know, they're not going to be coming back to the barn uh, except for milking between April and October. That's just, you know, that's not an option for them. And, um, and so that's, you know, the first step is that having the, the pastures that provide a variety of foods, um, and from woody brows, leafy brows, grassy pastures, weedy pastures, um, you know, just a, a really wide variety of options depending on the weather and the time of year. Um, and that plays into what the goats want. It plays into the milk that they make. Um, the flavors will change depending on not just um, what they're eating, but what time of year they're eating it and what stage of maturation the plants are at and stuff like that. And, and so... Um, it's kind of, you know, looking at things the opposite of making a, a consistent cheese as far as flavor is concerned. It's, it's more of a, a, you know, a spectrum of, of flavors depending on when it's made. So I try to make, and that's another thing that we try to keep it within parameters of, you know, moisture and, and, uh, and that sort of thing as far as the cheese is concerned. But sometimes you have a little difficulty. <laughs> um, yeah. but, um, but, you know, it should be recognizably the same cheese, but it should not be the same cheese if it's made in May or if it's made in October. Um, and, and I think that's as it should be. Um, yeah. You know, does that answer the question? Oh, yeah. No, okay. I think that's, that's the tip of the iceberg, but maybe we right. can get you to, to, to come back at uh, some point or maybe, you know, we can come back up to Vermont and... Uh, and do a, a, a part two <laughs> in the fall and see and see how the, the pasture is different. <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah, but I think, you know, that, that old adage, you know, you are what you eat is like, you know, true times 20 for, for the goats. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I think so. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, it, it had better be or else there's no point in doing it the way I'm doing it. You know, I guess it's, it's a gamble that I'm making, you know, that, that it does make a difference. Yeah, well, so, so far, I mean, all signs point to, to, to delicious, so I think yeah. it's just been working out okay. <laughs> pretty well. But, um, all right, well, I think, unfortunately, we're out of time for today, um, but uh, join us uh, a week from Sunday on the next uh, episode of Cutting the Curd, which is actually going to be broadcast um Oh, no, we'll be back in New York then. We'll be back in the, in the studio. Uh, come uh, the end of August, we're going to be back in Vermont for a Cheesemakers Festival, um, which Michael will be at. So maybe we can yeah. snag you for a minute there. Oh, maybe. But um, thank you so much for being on the show and for yeah. making delicious cheese. And uh, we'll see you next time on Cutting the Curd on Heritage Radio Network. <laughs>